Okay. How's that? Okay. Putting biblical objectivity into practice in the past seven years. Give you some examples of the way we try to actually put into practice what I've been talking about. And hmm, maybe I should just stand over over here. I don't think I can do that. Let me just stand over here and get out of the way and try to keep this computer from falling off. Okay. <clears throat> um, some examples of, of hard stories. I mean, the easy stuff is, is easy, but this one, uh, forgotten victims. Here we have, um, this was several years ago. This is from 2017. So four years fairly early in the transgender push. But our point was it hurts those it purportedly helps, forgotten victims. So we try on a story like this, or for example, a story about fighting poverty, to look at who's being helped, is the person really being helped, or are we just sort of going with a trend, we being American society in general, and not really thinking it through. And that's a conclusion one of our brilliant young writers, uh, Sophia, came to on this. Washington's odd couple, an enormous DC bureaucracy sends one kind of dough to farmers and a different kind to the poor. So I really deny the claim by people on the left that we care for the poor and conservatives don't. The question is, how do you help? How do you help without hurting? And given that biblically, uh, I think we're called to be generous, but we're also called to see the importance of work. If you separate the two, then you may be hurting the very people who you're trying to help. And that was basically, as I mentioned before, the, uh, the book I wrote in 1990. Uh, the tragedy of American compassion, really traced the history of American poverty fighting. And I found, spent a year in the Library of Congress, sometimes literally rolling dust off old documents in the, in the stacks, that when Christians essentially ran poverty fighting in America, when it was a product of churches and voluntary associations with Christians from a bunch of churches coming together, it actually worked much more effectively in terms of both generosity and stressing work than has happened with the big governmental programs of recent years. But where Republicans often went wrong up through about 1995 and maybe going wrong again was concentrating on the expense of it. Uh, how many billions of dollars or now maybe a trillion dollars, how much has been spent? And that's a real question. But a, but a, a more important question at that time was does it actually help or is it hurting? So what's the effect on the people who we say we're helping? And what I learned historically, looking at earlier times and then more recent times, is that actually the governmental programs have often hurt rather than helped. And that was the real tragedy involved. We tend to investigate and sometimes critique both um, big government organizations and sometimes Christian organizations. Um, Washington's frequent flooding bailout program. Does compassion for hurricane victims mean repeatedly using taxpayer dollars to rebuild houses in the same uh, flood-prone spots? And I actually wrote a, wrote a book with some chapters about, uh, about that after Hurricane Katrina and what was going on. So again, we, we try to be uh, following the steps of, of John Peter Zenger. Um, but here was uh, you know, a place not all that far away, Moody Institute. Uh, hard times for heavyweights. As MBI drops its top executives and 30% of its faculty, critics spotlight fissures in an evangelical fortress. So we're willing to do that at times, even though you know, we like Moody. But nevertheless, we have a calling to point out both successes and failures. So salt, not sugar. And again, this is what we think Christian journalism generally should be. Um, here internationally, surviving ISIS as crisis deepens, displaced Iraqis face more hardships and more battles. So we try to look internationally at what happens here to the displaced Iraqis and domestically. Pregnant pause, more women postpone childbearing and trust technology to beat the biological clock. So again, this is, these are sensitive questions, but we try to probe them and probe them and we try, we hope that others will do the same. But this is in 
This is in the tradition of Zengu rather than the tradition of the official story. Um, I mentioned last time the, uh, the tragedy in China. And here's, you know, in China, hundreds of parents create Christian schools without permission. Can they withstand the fire? So here we are definitely on the side of the Christian schools and not on the side of the dragon. But here, this was, uh, I spent some time in San Francisco, churches under pressure, how a San Francisco congregation is feeling the LGBT squeeze. And this is from, uh, I think, 2016. So five years ago, this was a church that was a PCA church. It then has, 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 moved, has moved left, and it's a, a very sad thing for the faithful members of that church, uh, what's happened. So again, we will, we will look at church questions like this. We can't look at every church. We get, we get a lot of information about what's going on, and, and sometimes we can just look at big churches rather than small churches, and sometimes we can look at representative churches of a wider trend. Uh, so we have, to, we have to pick our spots. Um, here was something involving um, um, essentially a, uh, a, a leader of a, of, a, of a Christian ministry who uh, was acting sexually improper. Uh, and so this was uh, uh, Vision Forum Ministries in San Antonio. And uh, Jamie Dean, our national editor, went and spent time with the people and wrote this story, Blurred Vision Exclusive, an inside look at the downfall of Vision Forum Ministries. Again, a very hard story to write because a lot of the stuff the ministry was doing we very much we thought was, was terrific, but some problems in leadership at the top. And then one of our constants uh, here, question authority, sort of turn around some of the slogans. Um, as one big natural history museum holds on to Darwinist dogma, another plants seeds of humility. So we went around to various museums and saw uh, how they were presenting information. Um, and the, uh, uh, the, the, sadly, the, uh, the big museum of natural history in Washington was, uh, was just uh, sold out uh, and wasn't, wasn't questioning Darwin. Um, one, of, one of my favorite organizations um, is uh, um, very much involved in intelligent design, the Discovery Institute, based in Seattle. Uh, does really good work. But, but here's, this is interesting that, um, or I think it's, it's interesting to me just as, as editor-in-chief, I really try hard not to pick sides on, on a controversy within, within among, well, between faithful Christians. So um, I got a letter from a, uh, a young earther recently complimenting me on, he said, well, I see you're being even-handed, but I, but I really think you're, you're one of us. Um, and actually, I'm, I'm probably, you know, 51% on the old earth side. But, uh, you know, really try even in reviewing books to review books from both sides. And uh, we, we say that world is not a theological journal. So we will combat uh, very evident heresies like the LGBT heresy, in a sense, that, that denies uh, the, the difference between men and women. Uh, I mean, the, the trans uh, particularly or and so forth. You know, you know what I mean as I'm garbling my rhetoric a little bit with lecture, lecture number three. Um, but you know, we, we really try to, be, to, to uh, report faithfully what faithful Christians are doing. And we don't take sides on that. We, we are, you, know, you won't find in the world uh, a story about infant baptism versus believer baptism, uh, even though I'm, I'm uh, you know, a, a, a PCA elder and and thus firmly committed to, uh, to infant baptism. Because that's not our calling. It's the calling of, of seminaries to, to look at problems like that. Our calling is to cover all sorts of stuff in the world, including stuff in the church. But we, we will, we will uh, in a sense, pick the low-hanging fruit and leave the high-hanging fruit for all of you. <laughs> and, and Darwinism is clearly uh, bad news in so many ways. I mean, both you know, scientifically, theologically, sociologically, culturally. Um, so I won't go into more on that. I think I think you all you all know that. Okay, here was something that led to the most letters I've ever gotten. Uh, yeah, got uh, got about two thousand letters from readers. Uh, 
1,600 of them, 80% of them complaining, and sometimes very vociferously complaining. Um, 400 applauding us. Um, that's way above, I mean, the most I've ever gone on something else was maybe 200 rather than 2,000. Um, there were a few things like that. One most, well, a while ago, this was before COVID, when, when, we, when we could get excised about, about uh, some things not as, not as, uh, as, as crucial. Uh, I wrote a column about the question of whether to pay $420 or something like that to have Greeley's, my dog's teeth, brushed by a vet. And I got at least 100 letters on that, uh, about 80% of which were saying, no, don't pay it, and prescribing uh, carrots or this or this or dog chews or lots of different things. Um, and, then, and then maybe 20% saying, definitely, it's worth it, or else there'll be bigger problems. And I think just about all those 20% <laughs> were written by veterinarians. But uh, uh, anyway, but. Uh, um, so yeah, those, those were the days when you could have a debate on that. And we still haven't paid that money to the vet to have Greeley's teeth brushed. Um, I think my wife is swinging over to the, to the let's pay it position as she uh, pays a little more attention to Greeley's breath than I do. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's still, still to be determined. But this was the one. You want us to sign Yeah, tell, tell, me, tell, me, tell me Dr. Strange. <laughs> Uh, what do you think on that? So you're a doctor, you know. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I got a couple letters like that, uh, so which were very wise letters. And so uh, anyway, uh, but uh, I, I'm still I'm still persevering with carrots, but uh, I may have to just uh, uh, since Greeley doesn't well, well he likes he likes to swallow the carrots. He I was going to say he likes to bite the carrots, but I may have to bite the bullet. And just uh, anyway, but but yeah, this was the one that that produced uh, really a reaction because, you know, back in 1998, you can, maybe you can't read the small type. Uh, this was actually a cover in 1998, time to uh, resign, uh, with Bill Clinton, and we say what applied to Bill Clinton in 1998 applies to Donald Trump in 2016, and we got a very heated reaction to that. To say heated is a calm way of uh, of explaining. I'm trying to use understated prose here. Um, but uh, you know, I pointed out to people, as you can see here, here's the, uh, here's the Grim Reaper wearing an I'm with her button, which was a Hillary Clinton button, which we just had two issues before. The life-saving Hyde Amendment becomes a campaign issue as Hillary Clinton pledges repeal. So we weren't favoring, I pointed out to people, we're not favoring Hillary Clinton. We're just saying that, that Donald Trump's personal behavior, his both, both at that point, his, his sexual experiences and his boasting about it, but also just his, his um, erratic nature. Um, seemed to me that all presidents are egotists, but you don't want a president who's an egomaniac, but I'm not gonna get political here. Far be it from me to do that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we got a lot of criticism on that, but we were really trying to be even-handed and saying we are not a Republican organ. We are certainly not a Democratic organ. We are, trying, we are trying to say that um, you know, there's a certain standard of ethics, there's a certain uh, expectation we have, and that's gonna have, even if, and, and I'm, I'm, very, I'm very positive about the three Supreme Court justices that Trump has said, I'm very positive about other things. We tried all during his administration to be, uh, to be pretty even-handed, it was pretty, pretty much 50-50 coverage, sometimes praising, sometimes not, but always trying to report. You know, not, not just write an opinion piece, but report what's going on and let people, let people judge for themselves. But we just, we continually got a lot of, why aren't you getting on board? So, but that's, that's just where we are. Um, you know, where we are, you know, about getting on board, I mean, this was during the, the height of, of refugees from Africa trying to come across the Mediterranean. And, uh, you know, our subhead there, as weary refugees seek a U.S. security, a U.S. haven, Security hawks demand answers, and Christians ponder, who is my neighbor? So on something like that, again, we are trying to, to be biblical. Or surviving Boko Haram, how terrorists ravage Christian communities on the ground reporting uh, from these particular four towns in northern Nigeria. Um, we don't have much of an international presence full time. We have one of our reporters who was an intern living with us, uh, Onize, is in uh, Abuja, Nigeria. Uh, 
we have a re we have a reporter in Taiwan who was going to move to Shanghai, but of course that's not that's not doable now. They'd probably throw her in jail, and certainly would be putting a target, as I mentioned, on the back of anyone she had contact with. Um, we uh, we have the beginning of a uh, of a European bureau. I would like to have a South American bureau. So you know we actually want to be, try to be World Magazine, which has a double meaning, namely. Um, Christianity Today's concentration is on is on the church. Basically, we pay attention to that, but we also want to pay attention to things going on in the world: politics, economics, the arts, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then also, um, yeah, geographically, uh, we 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 try to have uh, coverage. Uh, our 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 uh, uh, Mindy Bell's, who is our international editor now, uh, senior editor, has done really path-breaking work in the Middle East. Uh, I mean, and she knows Syria, she knows Iraq, she's been there a lot, uh, and uh, um, really is one, of the, is one of the world's leading experts on what's going on there, and particularly what's happened to Christian communities uh, there. Um, okay, here, the, the 2016 evangel evangelical political crack-up, which uh, uh, the, the splits at that point, and then right at the beginning of this year, uh, the insurrectionist heresy, where we have uh, the people, including our, your favorite guy in mind with horns uh, uh, and so forth. Uh, um, the, uh, yeah, so we, we try to describe it. Again, we're not a theological journal, but when, when, when there's obvious heresy, as I think this really was, uh, and others thought it really was, uh, we, we will say so. Is that is that understated prose? Uh, maybe not, uh, but accurate prose, I think, sadly. And uh, you know, this is this is a, a big problem, which I'll, I'll be glad I'll be glad to hear your thoughts on. Uh, one of our one of our standards our our standards over the years has been uh, well. Every year we have a Roe v. Wade issue in January, but all through the year, uh, chemical abortion on the rise. Um, this is this is really a a, a great tragedy. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, as you recall, had a containment strategy. He said, you know, we're stuck with slavery uh, in the southern states right now, but we want to make sure it doesn't extend into the territories. Um, and that's why the Kansas-Nebraska Act and, uh, and other things caused, really led up to the, uh, the Civil War. But uh, abortion, uh, boy, I would like it to be wiped out, but at least I want it to be contained. And this bothers me, the, the growth of telemed abortions, the growth of abortifacients, abortion pills. That's ex that's expanding into the territories at this point, um, so that's that's something we've continually pointing to. Or here, this one: poison pill. Babies don't die by surgical abortions alone, facing the era of chemical death. So this is a, a severe uh, expansion that we may be seeing. Um, yeah, when when will we ever learn? Um, this is in Doral, Florida, Doral's Waylands from Venezuela. As they're called, the Israelis know what many forget. Socialism typically brings dictatorship and death, and so we see that tendency on the left. We have, we have the Q movement on the far right, an apocalyptic internet movement snares unwary Christians. Um, so yeah, this uh, of course makes makes some people mad, but so so be it. Salt, not sugar. Um, yeah, uh, uh, the GOP's Greg Abbott is the the governor of Texas. Uh, one, one thing I really like to do, actually my, my favorite stories have been not, not sitting down uh, interviewing someone, but actually going around with a person. I had uh, a really interesting day in Washington a few years back when Rick Santorum was still a senator, just, just trailing him all day. And I saw that in one day he had something like 32 different meetings, just running from place to place to place. And uh, you wonder how anyone can stop to think about anything. But that was interesting just to see in action. Or here, uh, Greg Abbott, who uh, was paralyzed when a tree fell on him as he was running uh, in Houston. And just seeing, you know, spending the day with him as he was going around to various places, flying around, and just seeing how he got into planes. Uh, you know, he had a small plane, and uh, he would uh, get out of the wheelchair, go backwards facing, coming, you know, with his, with his rump on the stairs, and just sort of go stair by stair by stair up into the plane and swing himself into a seat. So just sort of seeing that was interesting. Or here, uh, you know, actually seeing what's going on down at the border. So weighing law and compassion by the Rio Grande. 
as big media evangel uh, angel as big media angelize some and demonize others, what's the real refugee story? So again, that's our emphasis, reporting rather than opining. And here's another thing in journalism, along with this polarization and, and in a sense moving to extremes, it's also moving to an, ex an extreme as far as opinionizing. Uh, you just see so many news outlets are just opinion, and those are very popular. Uh, reporting is expensive. Investigative reporting is particularly expensive because uh, you have to go with excruciating detail uh, over, over every single thing, every single word. Uh, to make to make sure you're you're not libeling someone, um, so it's much easier just to sort of sit and pontificate, and that's the whole trend in journalism these days: opinion, anger sells, opinion sells, or opinion, opinion is cheap, uh, easy to, easier to do than actually going out and reporting. So again, we are we are an odd duck in the world, uh, or here, you know, again, salt not sugar, the rising evil of anti-Semitism, kind of a evocative cover, uh, and, uh, and this one, uh, from pain peels to heroin to death, who will help these neighbors? America's deadliest epidemic. So not a, not a very attractive cover, and if we have some of those in a row, we, want it, we, want, we try to have a happier cover. Uh, and we sometimes, you know, we'll put warnings on our stories at times if they're, if they're involving, say, uh, uh, sexual matters that, that we don't want the kids to read. But um, somehow we've got to do. Um, so here's a sad story and a happy story. This is uh, Akita Pulat, uh, uh, China's uh, unheard victims, the Uyghurs. Uh, the last time Akita Pulat saw her mother was in 2016. And then we have every year uh, Hope Awards for Effective Compassion, so we can have a happy cover. Uh, we go around and we, we get lots of nominations from our readers of various ministries, and then. One of the things we've learned over the years is we don't take anyone's word for it, even even very nice Christians. I mean, we have to go and eyeball things. And our reporters right now, are, we have two of our reporters right now driving up through uh, on the West Coast uh, looking at, uh, at, at uh, nominees for this year. Um, and again, here are, here are happier stories. Uh, this is John Perkins, uh, who I've, uh, I've known lightly for almost three decades, uh, um, knew him more recently. I mean, spent some time just interviewing him. And uh, yeah, he, every year we have a Daniel of the Year, uh, a Christian who has uh, uh, risked uh, life itself in, John, in John's case and others to, to uh, profess Christ and teach others and stand up against, uh, against evil. It's a guy who uh, he's, he's now uh, past 90 years old. Um, He's um, uh, just a just a great a great Bible teacher, uh, and then uh, my friend John Erickson, uh, who does the Hank. How many of you have read some of the Hank the Cow, Hank the Cow Dog books? Yeah, I see, see some nods out there. Uh, yeah, John's a great guy. We spent some time at his in his ranch in the Texas Panhandle, and uh, this is this is when we were first getting to know him, and we have our children's book of the year. Every every year, which are happier covers, and that's uh, that's Hank the cow dog, plugged into various devices. Uh, hopefully, not spending too much time on, on screens. We make sure Greeley doesn't spend his time on screens. It's really bad. Too much of it is. Uh, uh, so anyway, um, and okay, and here's my, my last set of slides. Uh, I've done uh, at least at least uh, a couple hundred interviews. Uh, probably more than that now. I used to do I used to do them at uh, Patrick Henry College, um, and uh, and now I just do them from by phone with a studio in my in my closet at home. But this is probably my favorite. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata um, did this at Patrick Henry, and uh, you know, in um, the course of interviewing her, I mean, a couple of times she broke out in song. I mean, you you really see uh, a lot of a lot of. God working on her and in her. Um, and then this is actually, uh, uh, most of the Hope Award stories now are written by other people, but uh, this is one that, uh, that my wife and I did. We stopped in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And this is a fellow who uh, in inner city Birmingham runs a music ministry with kids there. And uh, um, my, my wife and I, a few days ago, were just, were just trying to uh, list our, our five best dates 
and this was one of our, our, our five best because uh, uh, they had they had as a as a closing thing for their for their summer of teaching um, a, a sort of concert, and we and we we had the luxury of being of being the the guest in the royal box at the uh, at the concert, and uh, it was great to see uh, they have kids from small kids to to kids in college who have, who have grown up in the program and just hearing their singing. So uh, that, um, a, uh, a Fenway Park date and a few international dates in various places, uh, uh, we, we agreed are in our top five. But um, anyway, and, and so the Hope Awards are, are really good to do. Uh, uh, but it's all part of the mix. And if we've had a series of, of really sad or sometimes macabre stories, I say, hey, it's, you know, we need to, we need to have, have some happy stories. Um, one of our, our former feature editor, Lynn Vincent, who's gone on to, uh, to, to write some, uh, some best-selling books, talks about in stories mixing sugar and medicine, essentially. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so in writing a feature story, uh, sugar is the, is the specific detail of the human interest. Medicine are the statistics, the, the, the harder uh, statements and things, and you just you just got to mix it to keep people alive. And I'd and I'd probably say you know sometimes the same thing in, in sermons. The uh, I guess I have to I have to say the Puritan sermons that uh, that changed my life so much uh, they didn't have much sugar in it, but uh, for for better or sometimes for worse we probably have have more sweet tooths in congregations right now. And how you deal with that is a is a is a good question for uh, for pastors. Um, Anyway, these are just some examples to give you a sense of how we try to apply this question of biblical objectivity, which means you know hard things at times, salt, not sugar, um, having covers that that attract attention, um, but uh, we we still we still keep in mind the New York Times adage about not wanting to soil the breakfast cloth. We may have done that with uh, with a skull with a uh, with a needle in the mouth. Um, so, yeah, it's always, uh, we, we, try to, we try to push our readers, to challenge our readers, but not discuss them. I mean, for example, I still have on my computer um, three pictures of a, of a guy in, uh, in Syria getting his head hacked off because maybe once a year I'll go back to them and look at them uh, just to remind me of, you know, the nature of the world. Um, but we don't. We we don't. We won't actually run. We might run a little tiny picture, uh, but we won't actually. We won't actually have the hacked off head like that. I mean, we. I think we once ran a small picture of, of the knife just right on the throat. But that's you know we just have to be aware of our audience and and kids and so forth. So um, we we want salt. We don't want it to be so much so oversalting it that 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 people throw up or get sick or something like that. These are the these are the judgment calls we, we have to make, and again I think there's a certain parallel perhaps in giving sermons and and so forth. Um, you want to you want to challenge uh, the 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 church members and listeners, uh, and that may mean that a couple people might walk out, uh, but that's important to do at times. Anyway, those are just my thoughts, but uh, I am uh, I am as you can see just from listening to me, I am not called to be a preacher. So I'm glad, I'm glad that some of you are getting training along those lines. Um, okay, we have, we have half an hour left. I'm going to really, well, first of all, questions, comments um, on, on anything I've mentioned just now or, or earlier. Yes? You made a case for biblical objectivity uh, for your lectures. And if I understand objectivity correctly, um, regarding journalism and scholarship is that it's to be without bias, um, to not bring your own opinions into it. Can you correct me if I'm wrong? Um, is, is, that, is that the question at this point? Because I may start no, already. No, you're making me concerned, so <laughs> <laughs> with your hand gestures. Yeah. <laughs> My question is this. Thank you. My question is this. What would your response be to maybe a secular journalist who's saying by having biblical objectivity, you're not actually being objective. Yeah. Um, and the question is, okay, this is the third lecture, and so I am finally going to follow the instructions of repeating the question for the tape. It takes me that long to actually actually learn. I forgot in lectures one and two. But uh, 
the question the question basically is I mean what's the definition of objectivity which because the, de the way I'm defining it may be different than in a sense the absence of opinion or bias or something uh, and then yeah how do secular journalists respond to to the way definition yeah I actually at one point when I was writing a book many years ago called Prodigal Press uh, because I, I see Amer current American journalism as the prodigal son of Christian journalism. I went and looked at the Oxford English Dictionary and the various definitions, and there are a couple of dueling definitions in some ways. Uh, one definition is uh, the absence of bias, opinion, or a position. Bias has a negative connotation, uh, but the absence of taking a position. So neutral, objectivity equals neutrality. And the other definition, and again, there are more, but these were the basic, they tended to fall into, into two camps. Objectivity is reality, is, is accurately describing reality. So two dueling definitions, one being, the, um, one being essentially neutrality, the other being essentially reality. And I go back to, uh, uh, to at least my biblical understanding that, that God presents reality to us. Uh, these are not myths. What's in the Bible is not opinion. Uh, God is the builder of the world. And so we ask him about things by reading the Bible the way I asked the builder of my house about things when he lived next door to us. Um, so I, I basically go with one definition of objectivity. Now, yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of journalists will go with the other one, and I, and and um, it's easier now to deal with that than it used to be, because it used to be that journalists, largely because of perhaps financial reasons, but also I mean pressures from the publisher, were actually not supposed to take in a, uh, to take a position on anything. That was the idea for the you know for for many reasons, including the financial ones I mentioned. You did not want to alienate part of the readership. Now it's very different. Um, journalists, in fact, from the Washington Post and the New York Times uh, receive encouragement. I mean, reporters receive encouragement from the editors to take a position. In the Trump administration years, it was easy, you know, be anti-Trump. Um, and, and world, by being 50-50, we're basically saying, uh, you know, we're just going to report. We are not taking a position whether this is... we. We, we know that, that Donald Trump is president through, through God's supervising providence. Uh, we don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Or we don't know if it's, if it's, if it's a blessing or a curse. We know, that we know that this is not outside of God's providence. And so we're just going to report what comes along, and we're not going to, we're not going to uh, uh, say what we know, because we don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. We're just going to go issue by issue and report what's going on. So in a sense, in the Trump administration, we were, we were taking the, the, um, the, the standard position on defining objectivity uh, because basically we didn't know. I mean, we, the, the Bible did, does not have, um, uh, you know I, know, I know there were some people who were trying to make comparisons with Cyrus or things like that, but, but the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us how to evaluate Donald Trump. I think it tells us that ethics are important, that that keeping calm is important in leadership, uh, so those types of things. But there were positives, there were negatives. So, you know, we were just trying to basically balance in that situation, which again, some of our readers just wanted us enormously to be on the Trump side. But we could certainly see in the Post and the Times that they were anti-Trump all the time, and that the headline writers, the reporters, the editors were all unified in that. So, in a sense, there was in that administration a reversal. We were, we were more old-fashioned objectivity or, or objectivity being neutrality. And in fact, uh, uh, the reporters in those papers, as well as reporters in other big newspapers, were, in a sense, um, taking our position of taking the position, uh, but uh, they weren't relying on the Bible. They were relying on their own ideology. So it was kind of, it was kind of an interesting turnaround. Um, does, that, does that get to it or? So, yeah. Thanks. Good question. Got me musing about things. Yes. Yeah. Um, is that I mean, it's not really journalism, right? Is it just no, a it, it, 
Yeah. No, I, I think I think fact checking is really important, uh, and we are checked on that by our readers. I mean, we will print in our mailbag, uh, you know, attacking letters as long as they're based on with factual statements. If it's just a matter of opinion, sometimes we will. I mean, if someone says I'm canceling my subscription, we'll usually publish that. That's the that's the surest road to having a letter published in World because that usually brings a reaction from others saying, oh then I better make up for that in some way by giving someone a gift subscription. Um, so it's a, cal it's a calculated uh, uh, thing, but, uh, um, but no, fa fact checking is really important. Um, anytime we get a fact wrong, I mean, we will in our, in our mailbag, we'll, we'll, we'll clarify uh, very, as quickly as we can. But the problem is that uh, a lot of fact checking uh, as, as interpreted in some places is actually you know, opinion checking. Uh, it's not based on facts, and uh, yeah, there, there have been a lot of examples of that. So, and the problem is, if you do that, that's going that that is going to cut into the credibility of your publication, except among all those who agree with you in every iota of what you do. So it's a bad thing for journalists. I mean, journalism, if you look at public opinion polls, journalism generally is is below just about anything, including, uh, I guess, you know. Uh, funeral directing was not a very popular occupation, but journalism is, is lower than that. It's way down at the bottom. I mean, there's lack of confidence. And, um, and in a sense, it's if, if, you, if you overuse fact-checking, it's like overusing the Bible. If you, if you say the, the Bible says, the Bible says it is a sin to send your child to a public school. Um, again, I would, I would agree most of the time, almost always, it's not a good thing to do, but I, I don't define it as a sin. Um, some people saying it is, it is a sin to uh, meet uh, virtually rather than in person. Uh, I just, I don't, I, I don't see that either. Uh, uh, obviously, you know, you, you want to keep fellowship face-to-face, -face, it's a lot better. But, you know, we've, we've for a long time had ministries for shut-ins and so forth. I mean, these are, this is being shut in by, by a pandemic. And, and uh, you know, we, I mean, we'll, 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 We've, we've printed. We've we've looked at. We've looked at the times when governments uh, are completely unfair to uh, to Christian churches. Uh, I think Rick Santorum one time uh, was protesting rightly that uh, you know in some places you could have a gambling casino open, you couldn't have a church open, uh, or what I, what I just heard at lunch about uh, what's going on in Canada. Um, but you know here's something where 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 we actually. Um, <coughs> I'll tell you, we had we we have a uh, a doctor who basically writes and both on on our website and our podcast about medical issues. Uh, Charles Horton, he's very smart, very thoughtful, uh, does a lot of research, and and I tend to trust him. We have another person who I like very much, who is in our mid career course, who has a different view of the whole of the whole pandemic thing, and uh, and they've had an email exchange for the past few days, and I I like both of them. Um, she was saying, "Hey, you know, you want you you have the testimony of of two and more witnesses uh, about saying that the whole pandemic thing is overwrought. It's really it's really not that bad." And and Charles Horton replied, uh, "Well, I I hear what you're saying about the testimony of two or more witnesses, but what about the testimony of two thousand witnesses?" Um, and so that's going back and forth, and and you know we still have to figure out how to. We 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 want to we want to honor the the debate that's going on, but um, uh, it's a tough one. It really is. Um, but we we I, I'll tell you we we tend to and and having having been been a communist party member, uh, you know, 50 years ago, uh, I, I I know that conspiracies do exist, but I know you can also overdo it on on conspiracy fear. And that's always that's a tough a tough question. What, when, when is it a conspiracy and when is it when is it science? Um, so anyway, these are hard things, uh, and that's and that's why we have we have every two weeks we have uh, all our reporters and editors get together by phone and we and sometimes we we discuss some of these things and try to figure out how to how to cover it. Let's see, there were two hands up. I'll go over here and then and then back over there. Yes. The U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment guarantees the freedom of the press and freedom of uh, speech. Uh, and this is purely anecdotal. From time to time, I, I 
the media reports and questions, let's say on college campuses, and you hear some students say, yeah, maybe that needs to be revisited and maybe those freedoms need to be either uh, revoked or at least modified. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, but where in the world does this come from? I mean, do we not know where these, why these freedoms were put into the Bill of Rights and, and if that should be increased, where, where does this go in your opinion? Yeah, well, remember that uh, uh, what I had up in, in lecture two on journalism history, namely the, the press is the, is the final circle. Now that's a very egotistical thing to say, you know, from, from a journalist, but historically that, that has been the case at times and that was certainly the, the idea of what led to the First Amendment. Um, there are a lot of reasons why, why people, according to a lot of polls, are showing that uh, there's, no, there's no respect for freedom of the press. Uh, I think a large part is, is the lack of credibility uh, by, by people, for example, saying this is a fact check when actually it's, it's, it's an opinion check. Um, so that's a real problem and, and it's going to get worse uh, as, you know, as some people on the right don't for good reason like what's going on on the left and some people on the left sometimes for good reason don't like what's going on on the right as far as, as, far as reporting. Um, it's, it's, it's when, when objectivity gets, when objectivity in the sense of reality gets put out the window, that I think leads to a, a big loss of credibility. But, but there are other parts to it too. You know, we hear, we hear on campus the, this, this really interesting hyphenated expression, microaggression. Um, what, what is this? I mean, <laughs> campuses are supposed to be places where you can actually debate ideas. And, uh, and, and boy, if we, have, if we have 18 year olds who are gonna be bowled over by a feather, essentially, uh, I mean, their, their parents and grandparents faced real aggressions, faced macroaggressions. So what's going on? Um, that's, that's a real, a real problem too. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, um, it, it is a huge problem and it may, it may grow worse and worse. Does anyone have a good, a good thought on that? And then I'll go over to the corner. Yes. Um, I'm actually, I'm reading The Rising Tides of the Modern Self by Carl Sagan. Uh-huh, good book. No, good, no, good book. Uh, Carl's a very smart guy. Uh, uh, had, a, had a good time interviewing him. Uh, he was at Westminster. He's now at uh, Grove City College. And uh, so it's a really good book. And, and again, I, my apologies. I blew it. I did not, I did not uh, uh, rehearse the question, uh, bring it back, but I think probably from the answer. Yeah. And the recommendation, again, the name of the book is? The Rising Triumph of the Modern Self. The Rising Triumph, right? Of the modern self, yeah, good book. Yeah, this is this is not paid for by Carl Truman. He did not, he did not approve this message, but I think he would approve it if he heard it. And so, okay, back in the corner, and then and then yes. Um, you talked some about the uh, governance structure and the um, business model of journalism for the New York Times and, and other 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 uh, organizations. I'm wondering about the one for world at this point, what are some of the pressures in particular that, well, well, I don't actually know a lot about what your governing structure is precisely, but what would be some of the particular challenges? You're obviously presenting a kind of mission-oriented, um, thought-based, here's our philosophy of journalism, but then you have to sell subscriptions and, and you have to have a, a some, group of people that help make decisions and guide the organization. So is there, is the model there something that, uh, can, can you describe it? And are there particular challenges to continuing to perpetuate it? Um, sure, the, uh, the governing authority is a, is a board of directors. Um, the, um, the, the CEO uh, reports to the board and the CEO then is responsible for hiring or firing uh, people. Um, the board of directors, uh, I've, I have, I've been involved now uh, almost 29 years editing and, and I love our board of directors. 
because basically they're a hands-off hands board of directors as far as the editorial content is concerned. I mean, they help out enormously on the business side and, and involved in lots of ways. But uh, we essentially have a wall of separation between editorial and business. It's not, it's not an impermeable wall. I mean, occasionally there are, there are changes. But for example, I don't, I don't know until I actually see the issue who's advertising in the issue. Um, once in a while, I, I find out, um, or if, if the, uh, occasionally the business people tell me we're having so-and-so, such-and-such an advertiser, and I want to be very careful not to have, particularly if it's a complimentary article, I don't want to have any complimentary article in an issue where someone has taken out an ad. And, and we've, done, we've, we've, made, we've changed things at times. We've delayed stories or sometimes delayed ads for that reason, because uh, I don't want anyone to think, which is actually pretty common, that you buy an ad and you get some favorable editorial treatment. Um, so our board, we, we, we really do have this wall of separation. Uh, I don't know much about the business operation. And I mean, I see, you know, three times a year maybe what the balance is and things like that, but it's not something in my everyday conscious. And my stupidity here is, is actually quite useful. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll continue because I think there are enormous pressures. Certainly when, when we, uh, when we came out saying Donald Trump was unfit to be president, uh, there were enormous pressures. You know, we lost some circulation. We've lost circulation before. Back in 1997, we, um, we learned that the NIV, which at that point was really the dominant translation, I think it had, you know, at least 50% of the whole Bible market, uh, was, was undergoing a change and was going to be essentially uh, gender neutral. And we blew the whistle on that. Uh, we, we called it, in fact, uh, a little bit of biblical sensationalism. We called it the Stealth Bible because it wasn't being announced. This was just when Stealth Planes came out. Uh, and we sort of had on the cover a, a Bible with the pages open, so it looked kind of like a stealth airplane. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we lost advertising from the publisher Zondervan. Uh, we lost some circulation. I mean, the uh, uh, folks, a lot of folks were really mad at us. Uh, we probably ended up gaining circulation, actually, because a lot of folks saw, aha, this is a problem, and thank you for pointing it out. Uh, we had a battle in 2005 with Jim Dobson at a time when he was really, I mean, now he's been retired essentially for a while, but he was a dominant power, and he had in his newsletter, uh, I won't go through the whole story here, but uh, uh, we thought and, and still think, I mean, we got the story right. We thought we were factually accurate, uh, but uh, he didn't like one thing, one thing we did, uh, particularly... Uh, we were reporting on some of the activities of Ralph Reed, uh, and um, he didn't he didn't like it, and he blasted us in his newsletter, and we got lots of lots of very sharply critical letters, and I'm sure we lost some circulation there, uh, but our board has always been supportive. In 2016, uh, I uh, our our whole editorial staff was was agreed that uh, um, that uh, that Trump was unfit to be president. Uh, and uh, I, I told our CEO, you know, here's what we want to do. And he said, go ahead and do it, basically, which was a real gutsy move on his part. Um, but that's where we've been all these years, and it's been, it's been a huge pleasure to be editor. And unusual, really, because I can tell sometimes in talking with, I mean, I will get letters occasionally from advertisers or phone calls who don't understand the way it works. And they'll say, you know, I would like to take out a big ad. I mean, we'll, you know, will you write a story about us? Name the complimentary story. And, and I just, I can just tell them nothing doing. Not going to happen. And that's, that, that's the surest way not to get a positive story uh, about an organization. So that's been a great pleasure. It's highly unusual in journalism. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, will, it, will it continue? Uh, I hope so, but I don't know. So we've, we've, had, we've had a great board. Yes. Well, we, we get we get letters from readers. I'll give you an example. This morning, uh, got a letter from uh, um, a, a friend who's out in the West Coast, uh, and he told us about a battle that's broken out in Seattle Pacific University. Uh, between the between the board and maybe the administrators, I, I don't know all the details on it, but I know I know this much that there's a, 
there's a battle there with the with the faculty really up in arms uh, about a uh, about a change that the board has made. And you can, if you if you Google Seattle Pacific, you may be able to read more about it. It's got a little bit of reporting, but uh, we have a reporter who's going to who's going to get on the story, uh, and and we'll we will try to report it. Um, so there there's a, a tip in a sense. Uh, other times we just hear about things. Uh, I mean, some obvious tips, but others we're just aware of what's going on. We now have. I mean, this is a uh, a really enjoyable thing. We have uh, uh, there are seven issues that we tend to pay particular attention to. We try to pay attention to a little bit of everything, but there are seven issues which we call leap for or leap forward. Uh, and these are, these are ones where, which have been in our wheelhouse for a long time. The L is for life, E, education, A, arts, the arts as in popular culture and movies and so forth, uh, R, religious liberty, excuse me, P, uh, poverty, fighting and Christian activities in our mind, uh, F is family, O is origins, namely the evolution issue, and Irish religious liberty, so leap for. So we have we have beats. We have, in fact, uh, if you go to our website, uh, each of those areas of interest has a weekly newsletter, uh, and our reporters have beats. Namely, they have become a specialist. One of our reporters has been with us for uh, for for uh, uh, a year and a half now, and and she's become an expert on life issues, namely abortion and other things. That's her beat. She pays attention to it. We have a reporter, another one of our interns, she's been with us for, uh, I guess, a year now. I mean, her beat is education. And so she's learned a lot about it just by following. And so she will read the, she will read professional journals and uh, um, Chronicle of Higher Education and other things. And, and, and her job is to be aware of what's going on. So it comes two ways. I mean, both the reporters and sometimes editors and beats, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, other editors or I think up stories and say, well, this would be interesting to pursue, and, and will you look into this? And, and sometimes just uh, stuff, from, stuff from readers. Um, let me, uh, I want to mention before we, before we conclude, I want to mention two things, because we have seven minutes left. Um, number one, I said at the end of the last lecture I would explain how I became reformed, and this happened, ha happened in Indiana. After teaching for a year at San Diego State, uh, I went to work at an organization. This is, I'll show you the depths of my theology. I really thought of this as penance. Uh, for my Communist Party membership, I went to work for an organization called the Christian Anti-Communism Crusade. Um, and I went around speaking uh, about, you know, and, and this is why I'm, I'm, I tend I, I had to do it too often, sort of give my own testimony. And this was, I was a very baby Christian at that point. It was not a good thing to do. But I also spoke about other things and Marxism and so forth and went around. And um, when, when I was giving, giving a speech in Indianapolis, there was a Reformed Presbyterian pastor who came there because uh, the, uh, the, uh, the radio promo said, well, here's a Yale graduate and so forth. And so, and he was a Yale graduate 10 years older than myself. And he thought, as a, as a loyal blue, as, they, as, as the name goes for, for Yale Graduate Talk, what's, what's Yaley doing mixed up with a crackpot organization like this? This was his attitude. I mean, the organization, I think, had some good merits and some demerits in a way, but this was his view. And so he basically came to rescue me. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and we talked a little bit then, and then I had another swing through, through the Midwest and a month or so later, uh, and I had basically a four-day layover in a way, which I spent in Indianapolis sitting in with his backyard, and his backyard with him, and we went through the Book of Romans. And he was very patient with me. And at the end of that, I was thinking, oh, huh, I'm reformed, wow. Uh, and he took me to the bookstore at the, at the seminary in Indianapolis and said, you gotta get this and this and this and this, which included uh, Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, uh, Charles Hodges' Three Volumes, uh, you know, plus, plus some, other, some other books, but those, I, I, I made my way through Burkhoff, I made my way through Hodge, uh, and uh, yes, I am reformed. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, Susan actually, uh, um, you know, I basically, she started reading this and she said, oh, I'm reformed too. <laughs> so this was all, this was all God's, God's grace. And ever since then we have been in, uh, in Presbyterian churches. Um, uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and then and then uh, in the PCA. So uh, that's uh, yeah. This is all 
But again, uh, this was the, in God's providence, just had this being in Indianapolis and this pastor wanting to, to look at my, being willing to look at my befuddlement and, uh, and sacrifice uh, lots of hours and four days of his life just to, uh, just to take me through Romans, which was, which was wonderful. So um, I want to offer, offer four, four conclusions. Um, <clears throat> that I actually wrote, wrote this this morning. Uh, uh, first, we should trust the biblical message that God created the world and is active in the life of his creation. Christian journalists know God created a good world, but Adam and Eve fell and the whole creation with them. Christian journalists see evidence of that fall, the sin and misery all around us. Yet we also know the Bible is a story of redemption. Journalists should report on brokenness, but also renewal in culture and education, in communities and families, in church and state. I believe this. Um, it's hard at times, but, but well worth doing. Second, we should relish the world's variety and diversity. The children's song that the small world, after all, is dumb. Uh, it's not a small world. It's a large world, one with millions of nooks and crannies and opportunities for adventure. And I wrote some of, I wrote some of this uh, a while ago uh, when I read a journalist, a very good journalist named Susan Orlean, not a Christian, but she was describing her excitement concerning an article she wrote about a gospel singing group. Quote, it was astonishing for me to glimpse a world that was so fully developed with its own stars, sagas, myths, history, millions of devotees that I in my narrow life had no idea existed. And yeah, here was an honest reporter who was saying, wow, this is really interesting. And that's been my experience. I mean, just learning about people I didn't even know exist. Third, uh, we are little hobbits in this great big world we have a great opportunity to glorify God and enjoy him immediately. As John Piper notes, uh, every joy that does not have God as its central gladness is a hollow joy and in the end will burst like a bubble. Christian journalists can have great joy by discovering and communicating the reasons that exist for honoring Christ in all things and above all things. Readers and listeners can surf on that joy. Fourth, my wife and I take turns giving, giving each other the first question and the answer of the Heidelberg Catechism just before we go to sleep. And, you know, the question asks for what's our only comfort in life and death? Okay, and, you know, that I am, uh, let me just make it, yeah, that I am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ who with his precious blood is fully satisfied for all our sin, all my sin, and uh, fully, I, I know this by heart, but I'm getting, uh, and deliver me, he delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that apart from the will of my Father in heaven not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. So, sensational promise summarizes brilliantly what the Bible teaches. We need to be less independent and more dependent on God who has saved us. Belong means belong. Fully satisfied means fully. All the power of the devil means all. All things working for our salvation means all things. Thank you. Five o'clock. Anyway, hey, really, thank, thank you. Um, this, has been a, this has been a great pleasure. I, I know no salute on behalf of the students, but I want to be sure on this occasion that we express, as we have, uh, our applause, but our appreciation for your presence and much of what you communicated to us. I'm sure it speaks for everyone here. And I appreciate your saying much, but not at all. And now we will have a rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> and if it would be appropriate, I would like to lead us in the closing prayer. Please. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for, again, the gift of this day. A day full of your grace and mercy toward us. Uh, even this gift today of hearing from Dr. Olasky about his work, his role. Uh, we're grateful for his presence, his willingness to come 
and pray your blessing on him and his wife and uh, Greeley as they return home. Mm-hmm. We're grateful, Lord, for the way you've used him and continue, we pray, to use him in this important ministry. And may uh, through the work of World and other light periodicals and the work of Christian journalists, uh, your community of people who seek to be faithful and seek to uh, minister in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can be discerning and reflective and thoughtful about what's going on around about them. May they continue to serve the church in that way. And so we thank you again, O Lord, for this day and for this afternoon and the lectures that were presented. And above all, even if we've been reminded at the conclusion of Dr. Alasky's speaking to us with the joy that is ours in belonging to our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Hear us, we ask in his name. Amen. 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 Thank you.